This is Manya from Friendshipable, a Project BFF podcast. Along with my co-host Terry, we love talking about friendships, talking with others who think about friendships, and learning about these important relationships in our lives. If you like this content, please support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash projectbff, or subscribe to the podcast via your favorite podcast app. If you have a podcast, consider hosting it on Buzzsprout. We love it. They make it so easy. And we have a link in our show notes for you. Thanks. I hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Friendshipable. I am one of your hosts, Manya. And I'm your other host, Terry. And we have a guest with us today, Craig Colby. Craig, who are you? I'm great. How are you? How are you you? and who are you? (laughs) Well, I'm great uh, today. Uh, My name is, uh, well, you know, you said my name. I am a uh, television executive producer and producer uh, and an author of the book, All Caps Stories That Justify an Outrageous Hat Collection, which won the Canadian Book Club Award as the best nonfiction book of 2022. Excellent. Well, welcome. We're very excited to be chatting with you today about the concept of friendship. Friendship. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe we'll get to talk. I love the hats, um, the concept too of all hats. So, um, and probably our conversation will weave around some of the things that brought you to do that. Um, So Craig is joining us today because he does want to talk about friendship. Um, and maybe we'll start with, you know, one of the things is what is the role that friendships play or the role that, you you know, your all caps was around sports, correct? It looks like it is. Ah, Mm, it's a bit of, it's a bit of a Trojan horse. Ah, okay. Yeah. It looks like it's about hats, but Mm -hmm. it's really the stories behind each hat. Uh, It was a tricky book to write because Mm. I needed the hats to each tell an individual story, but I needed to to add up to a bigger story. And the and I would hope that people would buy it because they go, oh, I like sports. Or I have a hat collection and uh, I like the ideas around this. But really the Trojan horse inside the Trojan horse uh, is relationships and connections okay. and what mm-hmm. happens when those connections are broken. So how, what is the Trojan horse um, part of it? How did that, um, the concept of the, the hats um, bring you to, fr- relate to friendship for you? So I'll give you just the pricey of how this came about. During the pandemic, when all my work went away uh, and I was plugging away, trying to get things restarted, uh, at my desk downstairs, there were two hats rows of hanging hats next to me and I decided well I have all these hats and I didn't know how many I'll I'll wear a different hat every day until we get to be together again so I took down the first hat took a picture of it and put it on Facebook and then all these people shared their hats that day and that happened every day it was a way for us to be connected when we were separated Mm -hmm. and then I started writing stories about the hats which connected me to my own personal history And 125 days later, when I ran out of hats and was embarrassed because I was now the crazy hat guy among my friends and in my in my industry, people said that they were sad that it was over. And I was encouraged to write a book. Uh, And when I when my mother told me to, and she was a writer for the paper in Thunder Bay and started a writer's festival, I did that. But what I found when I put 
put it together. I couldn't just put the post together. It needed to tell a story. And once I laid it out, uh, it really became clear that it was about belonging and uh, friendship, one particular friendship of mine that changed my life and my friend's life forever and uh, led into marriage and parenthood and all of those things. Wow. Can you tell us a little bit about that friendship? Sure. I think it has to start before the friendship. When I was eight years old, I moved from Ann Arbor, Michigan to Thunder Bay, Ontario. Uh, Thunder Bay is a mining, not a mining, it's a shipping uh, pulp and paper town on the north of Lake Superior. It's in the middle of nowhere. And Americans weren't really well received back then in mm -hmm. the middle of the Vietnam War. Kids threw rocks at our house and yelled Yankee, go home. Oh. Um, and for a kid that looked like a little Viking in a very white town, it was a unique experience to be told you don't belong. And it certainly made me sympathetic to people who get that every day, certainly the indigenous community here. But the result for me personally, with that little appetizer tray of dis discrimination was that I just felt like I didn't belong here. Mm -hmm. uh, and it took me a long time. And I really don't think I felt I belonged here at all until in grade 10, uh, I made friends with David Hagberg, who was the opposite of me. I was skinny with glasses, but I was loud and outgoing and funny. And Dave was a cool hockey player in a jean jacket pretty much every day with shades, which I later found out were prescription. Uh, <laughs> who, sat in the, who sat in the back of the room uh, and he was cool and you know, good looking and uh, quiet. So we were in a um, study class together where our teacher expected us to study quietly. Mm -hmm. We didn't. Um, and, you know, we got in trouble every day. We'd be sent to the principal's office. One of us would be, which led to more acts of defiance. One day Dave took his shoe off for no reason and put it on his desk. Just did it. And the teacher, Ms. Douglas, said, put that back on, and he wouldn't, so he got thrown to the office. And the next day when she came in, everybody in the class had their shoe on their desk. Oh, she, she, yes. She, she said nothing, right? She said nothing. So eventually, Dave got kicked to the office one day, and the vice principal said, look, if you get kicked out of here one more time, if you get sent up here one more time, you were Craig, we're sending you out to the front lawn to clean up garbage. It was the spring. And I said, that's fantastic because we can be outside. We don't have to be in that study. We're in grade 10. The grade nine girls gym class was taking place across the road on our football field. It was ideal. So the next day we asked, we waited about 10 minutes into the class and raised our hands. And Ms. Douglas looked nervously at us. And she said, you know, what is it? And we said, can you send us to the office? What's this about? What's going on? We just really think we need to go. And she wouldn't send us until we fessed up. Uh, and then she realized that was the best option for everybody. So every day, instead of going to study for our last period, we went out and we did clean up the garbage. And then we'd goof off and talk to friends and everything. And that was the, the birth of our friendship, which led to us running for student council on a big joke campaign. Uh, and we became inseparable friends. Uh, and it was that friendship was the first place I felt like I belonged. Mm. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. That was a long time. How many years was that between the time you moved to Thunder Bay and you really felt that connection? That was probably eight years. 
Yeah, that's a long time to kind of wander around and, and fight, try to find your place, but then finding the place. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, sometimes the worst things that happen to you can have the best benefits. Mm-hmm. You know, I, if only for developing empathy for other people's situations, uh, knowing what it's like to be an outsider, knowing what it's like to be lonely and misunderstood. I think those are valuable things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So where did this story, where does the story take you guys from high school? Well, in high school, like we did everything. Uh, we formed a Blues Brothers tribute band that played oh. in, in bars when we were in high school. We walked into this, uh, this uh, one bar. <laughs> well, we started at a high school talent show and we walked in the back of the room, girls screamed, which was a, a situation for me that uh, had not happened before <laughs> or since. But it was pretty intoxicating. And we knew after that one performance, we had to do it again. So we went to a bar in town called the Horseshoe Tavern, which was cowboys and bikers. Uh, And we were all teenagers in the back. And, you know, someone propositioned my mom and someone threatened if we weren't good on stage, they'd beat us up. So we went up and played our two songs and won the talent show for that night. And these cowboys came back and said, you got to take this on the road. So we were playing in bars and stuff around town when we were Dave was the only one old enough to be in there until the middle of the summer. Um, and we played football together, all of those things. Uh, and then at the end of high school, the day, the ne- night after, or the day after our last little Bruce Brothers concert, I went away to university. Uh, again, alone, right? It was mm-hmm. a, a, another good experience. But uh, the friendship endured. And really what we brought out in each other that we talked about many times was that I brought him out of his shell more. And he brought me, he didn't make me cool, but he brought me closer to it, uh, at least within recognizable distance. Uh, and we both really benefited from the situation. So we started during the summers when I was home from university, we started a softball team, which existed for 20 years. We would talk on the phone all the time. We would plan baseball trips together. Uh, as we got older, the year after I got married, Dave said, well, we have to go to, uh, we have to see County Stadium in Milwaukee before it closes. So we planned a trip with our friends. We went to Milwaukee and Chicago, and that became an annual ritual every year. Um, we were best men at each other's weddings. Mm. You know, I knew his kids. I was close with his parents. Um, but uh, Dave was sick in a way that wasn't recognizable because Dave was Dave was the most popular guy. He was the funniest guy. Uh, he was empathetic, good looking. He bought this with his money from working at the, <laughs> with his money from working and landscaping when he was 16 years old. He bought this Camaro Z28 with cash. He saved his money, which made him the coolest guy. He was the coolest guy, but also the best friend. But he wouldn't talk about himself unless you asked him. Mm-hmm. And if I asked him, he would tell me anything. But I had to notice it and ask it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, at one point he had, Crohn's disease. He was down to 165 pounds and he re- he ran about 220, 230 regularly. Uh, and he didn't tell me about it. My parents told me about it. So they saw him and he was 165 pounds. And so I called him and he told me everything, including how scared he was. He didn't know what it was at that point. His son was about to be born. Uh, but at that point, we talked about how scared he was and tried to be an optimistic. Um, but he got, we found out what it was. He got through it. Um, but in 2005, like a 
few weeks after my first my son's first birthday, I got a call that uh, Dave had died, mm-hmm. and he he had lost a battle to depression that I didn't know about, mm-hmm. you know, and he he knew that I would have done anything for him, and he knew a lot of people would have, but uh, you know that's that was a big part of writing the book is mm-hmm. uh, I realized that a lot of the stories were about Dave, and I couldn't write the book without talking about the friendship and what it did for me and also talking about the loss and what it does to you. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that's, in, that's one of the things inside the Trojan horse is yeah. uh, when I'm writing about my story and my friends, I want people to think about their stories and their friends and what value they have to them. Because I'll tell you, um, I always thought that Dave and I would be together till one of us went in our eighties or nineties. And right. we would always have that. At one point he said to me, uh, you know, he, he was with his wife, Rolita, who's amazing. And he said, well, Rolita's my best friend. And I said, okay. And actually what I was thinking was, you know, no, she isn't. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's your wife. He's She's your nice wife. to have. <laughs> She's great. She's your wife. I'm your best friend. They're different things. And, you know, people lose wives all the time, but you're never going to lose my yeah. friendship. Yeah. And he never, he, he hasn't. Um, yeah. So even after he was gone, there were things that I was looking out for him, things that I could do. Mm-hmm. Well, um, Craig, I'm so sorry for your loss. It sounds like such a special friendship and he was such a special guy. And I think it's amazing that he in part inspired you to share these stories. Well, there's big discussion internally about writing that part. And, you know, I, I ran the story by his dad and his sister who remained and his wife and their family. And I asked for their permission. If they said no, I never would have put it out. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't want, and it was the hardest part about doing all of this was sending those stories off, just the stories with them in it and knowing that it was going to hurt them to read it. Mm. Um, that was really hard because his family is my family. Yeah, sure. Um, but you know, his dad was never, Darcy was never afraid to talk about it. Neither was his sister Val. And, and you know, Relita signed off on it. I think they all knew that like, Dave wanted to put good into the world. Dave's job was, he worked at a halfway house for kids that uh, had run afoul of the law and were transitioning back into society. These are the kids that nobody wants around. And he was the one looking after them. Uh, and we had lost another friend of ours, Claire, the the woman who always played sports with the guys, we talked about her all the time and what that meant. And I knew that David dedicated his life to putting good in the world. And uh, I know there's part of him that wouldn't want the story out, but I know there's probably the biggest part of him would want people to learn and be better and grow. And that's what he was all about. At one point I was going through something with another friend, wasn't sure how to deal with it. And he sent me a quote. I don't have the whole quote in front of me, but part of it was, you know, go to the places that scare you. Uh, so I know that this was that he was here to put good into the world. And I thought this was a way to help him continue that. Yeah. yeah. One of the things, Craig, that you have mentioned in some of the things you wrote was how the friendship continues to go on. And I think I have a sense for that, I, you know, because of memories and because of the, the connection between the two of you. But how do you really sense? How do you feel that that friendship goes 
Well, there's a bunch of different ways. You know, it's never really one thing. I think mm-hmm. it's the relationship with his dad and his sister and his, his kids. You know, I started a football, a couple of football pools just to stay, having a device to stay close to his, to his family, which has actually helped my family stay closer. Um, sometimes I see him in dreams. And my other friends say the same thing. There's different ways people look at it. They think it's him. That's fine. I, I don't think that. I just think it's the echo of my friend. And, you know, when I wake up in those mornings after I've dreamt about him, I feel good because it's the only way I get a chance to spend with him. But certainly the influences he's had on me always stay with me. And there have been time, there have been the things that I could still have done for him. In one of the last emails, he wanted his sons to get to old Yankee Stadium before it closed mm-hmm. down. So I checked with Rolita and she was fine for it. Uh, and it was like two months after my second son was born. And, you know, my wife easily could have squashed it, but Nancy said, you need to do this. So I took his boys to Yankee Stadium. And, you know, I felt sitting there in Yankee Stadium, his oldest son's a big Yankees fan mm-hmm. with his kids. You know, I felt him right there with me. And, and, and I'm, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't believe these things linger, but it, it doesn't really matter if you do believe that. Just, to me, it's the same thing. I felt yeah with me in those moments and then when his mother got sick with cancer he came to Toronto from Thunder Bay for a surgery and I picked up uh, the family and drove him to the hospital and stayed with him it was like a laser surgery it was non-invasive so she could sit with us in between while it was happening and uh you know I knew then and I was told that you know I was Dave's proxy it was the closest thing his family would have to having Dave there so I think in those ways, it's still, it's still there. And, you know, I got his picture up all over the house. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Do you find that it influences your other work too? Your background has a lot of, um, you've written a lot, you've been a producer and a director. Um, and so do you find that maybe not consciously all the time, but are there ways that the connection with Dave influences the work that you do? I know. Um, mm-hmm. I think the book for sure, right? Yeah. The book for sure. And there were projects that I did when he was alive that I would show him that I know would interest him. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, but I would say the germ of my career started, uh, Dave and I did the high school announcement. Yeah. And, you know, we didn't just read things. We There were full productions. There was like a 25-pound reel-to-reel recorder that I would haul home to my place and we would write the scripts and do voices and have little stories and play records like drop a needle and hit the reels going you know we we produced those things that was the beginning of my producing so certainly in that way he was uh, part of the launching of my career mm-hmm. but as far as day-to-day what I do uh, mm-hmm. not not so much that yeah yeah how has the book been received book has been received really well. It won the Canadian Book Club Award for Best Nonfiction Book of 2022. But the best thing is when people send me uh, an email, people I don't know, or they write a review, and they said, it made me think about my own life. You know, it made me think about uh, the people close to me and what their value is. And that was really what I was trying to do. It's a, I hate saying it's a memoir because it just sounds so pretentious for someone like me that nobody knows, you know, celebrities and 
people with power can write memoirs. I don't know why anyone would want to read mine. That's why it's hidden in a hat book. Although I think there are things of value there. But I didn't want people to read about it and go, oh, you know, the worst feedback I get, and I get this a lot too, is I've learned a lot more about you because that wasn't the goal. And that's fine. If friends of mine like that, that's fine. But that was never the goal. The goal was to write about me, but make me make you think about you. But the best feedback I've gotten, and there's been a lot of it, is that, mm-hmm. is that it made people think about the relationship in their lives and, and what's most important to them. And I would imagine, too, as you talk about your kids and Dave's kids, that as they've been growing up, they're seeing a, a model and an example of what friendship is. Well, my kids wouldn't have, but they know all about Dave. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Dave's kids would. Uh, I was there for the week leading up to the funeral, and I wrote the obituary with the family and read it to his oldest son, Ryan, who was sitting on my knee at the time. Um, I did the eulogy, which the family asked for. And, you know, I've stayed close to them. And, you know, an example of knowing our relationship is they were just in town recently. And usually I'd look them up and take his sons out, but they're, you know, they're older now. You know, uh-huh. one of them, one of them is living with a girl, uh, a woman that he's uh, in a long-term relationship with. And I was busy, but I got a text from Ryan and he said, do you want to go to the baseball game with Ben and Amanda? And, you know, that was, that felt really good mm-hmm. because, you know, it, I, I want to be important in some way to them sure. and I want them to if they ever feel they want to they talk to me about their dad they really haven't yet but I'll, I want to be here for that and we did talk about different stadiums and I mentioned that their dad didn't like Fenway Park <laughs> didn't, like whole, <laughs> didn't like the whole Boston attitude uh-huh. so uh, I don't know how much influence that's had and I don't know how much influence it can have I mean these right. relationships these types of friendships that change you uh, but are solid, are, are rare. And I yeah, don't yes. think you can manufacture them. I think they happen. So, but I think it's good for people to know that they exist and that they can exist. Yeah, it's almost, you're right. And um, it's almost as if the universe or whatever the, where we exist in, in the world, it brings it together. There are those certain people. And Sometimes, I don't know if sometimes, you know, these shifts in it or these changes in it and people passing also kind of strength, it strengthens the bond if by missing one another, by missing the individual. But it it had you delve into what really were the key aspects of the friendship. You mean if I delved into it personally or did I write about the key aspects? Well, no, just it sounds to me, I interpret it as it's there's I mean, it was a very rich French friendship to start start with. And it's really deepened as in in honoring Dave and in continuing the connection through connections you're making because of Dave. It was pretty deep. I don't know if it could get deeper. Mm -hmm. I really don't know if it could. Uh, to me, what's maybe not surprising, but comforting is uh, that even when someone goes, that friendship remains. All the yes. things that they that they contributed to your life are still there. Mm-hmm. Um, that you can, uh, you know, I still have the Daveness inside me. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, even though I miss him terribly. Um, I am so grateful for the friendship that changed us both. We talked about it all the time, how much it changed us both and how great it was for both of us. So I am extremely grateful to ha have had that and still have that in my life. Uh, it's, it, you know, it's, it's changed me more than any relationship I've been in. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in the few moments we have left, what would you wish for the rest of us in terms of those kind of relationships to have something similar to that? Or is there something we should be looking for that we're or recognizing or appreciating that we're, we, we might not be appreciating in our friends? Well, I would say the first thing uh, that people can do to have this type of relationship is when you talk to your friend, listen, right? Mm -hmm. When they have a problem, you listen to all of their problem and you don't redirect the conversation into, oh, well, you know, this happened to me once, unless you bring that back to them and their problem. You know, I think the real key to any friendship is uh, not just listening and appreciating, but letting the person know that you listen and appreciate them. Uh, I think it's being genuine in who you are. And I also think it's seeing the best in that person, even when you know the worst. Mm -hmm. uh, we knew each other pretty thoroughly, right? But I think one of the things that made a difference for me in that friendship is I, I think he was the first person who saw me the way I saw myself. Yeah. Not some skinny kid with glasses, but uh, you know, I don't want to go into the details of it, but I didn't feel like I looked. And I, I think he saw me the way I was, not the way I looked. So I think Doing that is great. And also accepting that there are going to be flaws and yeah. arguments. And we didn't have really an argument. We had a couple of disagreements and there were a few things, but we got over them pretty quickly. I think just listening and acceptance and appreciation and, you know, making sure that person knows that no matter what goes down, you've got their back. Yeah. yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Wow, thank you for that, um, Craig. And, you know, we're going to put your contact information and information on how to find your book in the show notes. And um, what is the best way for people who want to, to get in touch with you? The best way is to go to my website. There are ways to book a meeting with me. Uh, my website is colbyvision.net. There are ways to get in contact with me. A lot of them are book a meeting, things like that. You can also uh, follow me on on Instagram, I believe it's Craig Colby six, uh, or my book, all, all lowercase, all underscore caps book. Uh, or you can send me an email at Colby vision, Craig at Colby vision.net. Awesome. All right. We'll put those links in or you can buy the book too. Everybody yeah. buy the book. It's so good. This is not the it's, barber telling you you need a haircut. We have a copy it? of it it's and it's great. awesome. You will love it. You will love it. Yes. Craig, thank you so much for sharing your story of your friendship and of your book. And we really appreciate having you on today. Oh, thank you for having a podcast about friendship and allowing me uh, just a chance to talk about my friend, Dave. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Bye, everyone.